live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by conservative Republican Jeannie Ives, liberal Democrat Christine Schombacher, also David Masiotra, liberal writer, Brian Lambeck, Libertarian, and Republican John Zom. Our program tonight, coming to you from our own base at WCGO in beautiful Evanston, Illinois. It's nice to have you with us this evening. I've had an opportunity to spend uh, much of this Independence Day weekend in uh, Galena, Illinois, which is uh, in, in the western part of the United or United States and also uh, in Illinois, and uh, went over into Dubuque, Iowa as well. Also just a beautiful city. If you've never been to either of those locations, I highly recommend it. It is just, it is probably the most beautiful part of Illinois and a great, uh, great, great spot uh, along the Mississippi River uh, in Dubuque, Iowa. We've got lots to talk about this evening. Uh, our liberal Democrat is Christine Schombacher. Also, our Republican is Christine, uh, is Jeannie Ives. And uh, I want to begin by talking about what I heard today. Normally on a Sunday, I get a chance to watch all of the Sunday morning talk shows, Talking Heads. This week, because I was on vacation, I only watched a little bit of uh, Meet the Press. And Andrea Mitchell was sitting in uh, for, for Chuck Todd. And she was going on and on and on about the speech that uh, Donald Trump gave at uh, the 4th of July at Mount Rushmore. And because I was on vacation, I, I did not see it. But she was going on. Her guests were going on. Everybody was wringing their hands. They just couldn't believe so this afternoon, I said, well, I've got to take a look at this before we go on the air this evening. So I watched it on YouTube, and my reaction was, why was everybody so upset about what was said? I want to start with you, Jeannie, because you, you've seen uh, the speech. What was your reaction uh, to the speech, and uh, why are so many liberal and media types so upset about it? Look, uh he did a great job. And by the way, I grew up in South Dakota. Oh. So Rushmore was extremely important. It still uh-huh. is extremely important to our state. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful part of the country. Uh, East River and West River are vastly different from each other. And tourism is the second most profitable business mm-hmm. to our state, that being primarily Mount Rushmore. Uh, so it is a just, it, it's always been a, a place of pride for South Dakotans. What did you think and of the speech? Remarkable that he was there. What did you think of the speech? I, I thought it was outstanding. I, I thought he spoke to what is happening on the ground that people see and upsets real Americans, real patriots. And this idea of the cancel culture must be canceled. Him taking it on resonates with uh, normal Americans who see what's going on and all they want is stability and all they want to do is feel proud about America and not all this bashing that you have seen going on. It's a very small subset of Americans who are taking on, uh, taking to the streets and protesting and blocking people's ordinary lives. Actually destroying people's lives. Yeah, I want to get way. I want to get Christine Schombacher in here. Uh, Christine is our she's our liberal yeah, Democrat. She ran yeah, for Congress. I'm going to have to now, completely disagree. You did, I think you did, you did not see the speech. By the way, we should, we should mention that you you said you did not see the speech, but you read about it. And are are you as exercised as some of the people in the media are? Yeah. So I read sections of his 40 minute speech, and I think it was completely tone deaf. 
he is about continuing what? to divide when the majority of Americans do support the protest. They want systematic reform. They want criminal justice reform. They want good schools throughout the entire country, no matter where you live. In fact, there's polls that come out that most Republicans support the protest. So I Would think you and Christine, Christine, let me, Christine, let me, let me just interject here. Oh, no. He did no. not mention the protesters. You immediately went to the he no, no, no. He rioters t- and the, he, he talked um, about he talked about those left and angry mobs. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now let me ask you this question: Do you see a difference between protesting about what happened to George Floyd and 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 what happened by other those uh, who were opposed to the president? How they acted? Do you see a difference between legal protest and? By, uh, burning and, and rioting and tearing down statues. I definitely see a protest, a uh, difference between uh, exercising your first amendment rights and then committing criminal activity. If you're doing arson, um, there's definitely clear lines. I think most people would agree with that. Yeah. That is not the majority of people that took the streets though. That's just a talking I did, point. I, to try I, to undercut a I, I, Christine, I did not, I did not say that. And I don't agree. I, and I, and I, and I wouldn't say that. I'm just saying is that what the president was talking about, he was talking about those that have chosen to tear down monuments. He did not talk about protesting. He talked about rioting. He didn't even mention looting. Uh, so he was able to differentiate between uh, those maybe maybe in a majoritarian position, and then there are those that really took advantage of the situation. He, he drew the line, and, and he, he, he does want people to unite against that part of the group. But he also is not talking about uniting for systematic reform. It's 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 his omission speaks volume and what he's concentrating on. He's trying to create some sort of horrific divide. I can really just absolutely okay. cannot let that pass. Jeannie he's already Ives. signed executive orders that deal with reform. Senator Tim Scott has put forth a very comprehensive uh, policing reform act as well that the Democrats have completely blocked. Um, and and to, um, because they have no teeth. Last week, in the, have no teeth. last week in the Congress, excuse me, I'm speaking. I let you speak. Um, last week in Congress, the Democrats in the House refused to condemn the defund the police movement and procedural vote. So they obviously think that we should, as a whole, holistically as a party, defund the police. The president's speech spoke to the cancel culture, spoke to the idea that we're going to tear down George Washington's statue, that Lincoln should be attacked as well, that even Teddy Roosevelt is not worthy of admiration. I mean, this is the type of stuff that is absolutely infuriates Americans who know that these men uh, have done great things for all of humanity. And, and that's what he spoke to. In fact, he said before these figures were immortalized in stone, they were great American giants in full flesh and blood, gallant men whose intrepid deeds unleashed the greatest leap of human advancement in the world has ever okay. known. Christine, go back to, go ahead, Christine. Yeah, I think just responding to that. So you actually have to look at what the statues are. So the, there's a statue of Abraham Lincoln with a black man clearly inferior to him that he would even probably object to this day. We can make a monument to Abraham Lincoln, which we have done. It's in D.C. That is also, uh, it doesn't put a black man clearly underneath him as a, as a human. That's wrong. And it does need to come down. And also, where are our statues of Frederick Douglass? Why is he on currency? Why aren't we celebrating? Who says it has to come down? One at a time. 
Go ahead, uh, Christine, finish your point. We need to celebrate people who have truly made this country great without also ostracizing and making things painful and horrific. When the president, when the president said near the end of his speech that he wants to create this garden of heroes in which many of the people who who, who we mentioned in the in the speech uh, would be recognized. He didn't say specifically name by name, but he ticked off many many uh, pe- people that I don't think there'd be any controversy at all. He wants to build yeah. this garden of heroes. So was he's, he's signaling out. And them? when we come back, I want to talk more about yes, it. We do have, we do, yes, we do have to that. break. We do have to break. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Evanston, Illinois. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont continuing on Independence Weekend from Evanston, Illinois, and uh, we're talking about uh, the president's speech at Mount Rushmore. Uh, we have difference of opinion, at least uh, those that are also uh, uh, sending us notes uh, via uh, YouTube and, and by uh, uh, Facebook. And and a question that I would have, uh, we'll go to calls in just a moment, but I want to go back to uh, something that you said, Christine, and that is that the president wasn't, wasn't unifying the country. I mean, we're in a presidential campaign. When you ran against Danny Davis for Congress earlier this year, you you were drawing differences between you and Danny Davis. Isn't a campaign not about bringing people together? It's about talking about the differences between one party and the other. And by nature, uh, that deals with conflict. Fundamentally reject that. I think you can have differences between your opponent and then still try to bring the community together. And that's what I try to do with my campaign is make the bring the community together, try to make the seventh congressional district better. And I would do you, but do you agree? But do you agree in a presidential? Do you agree in a in a in a campaign? I want to get over in a campaign. uh, There isn't necessarily unity. And, and people who agree with you on one point, that doesn't mean that your position is something that needs to be unified because there are people who disagree with you. We live in a country where we're about 50-50. So how can you unify a country when 50% of the people won't even listen to the other side? I want to hear your response. Then I want to hear Jeannie's response. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, so I'm from Nebraska. A lot of my family members are Republican. A lot of my friends are Republican. And we have way more common ground and we're all humans and we need to get back to that. We need to get back to where you can have common ground. You can have respectful discourse and you can try to make people and inspire people to be better and lead with hope. And rather than leading with divide and hate, which is what President Trump continuously does. Jeannie Ives. 
That's, she that's with a pretty hatred? interesting perspective because really what we all should be united behind are the core principles that make us American, especially when he's doing a July 4th speech about our founding principles, which is exactly how he started talking about the incredible foresight that our founding fathers had to create mm -hmm. in a document, something where we are once and for all, not ruled by the mob, not ruled by the majority, not ruled by an individual king, but rather ruled by a document that we all can agree on where everybody has their own individual rights. And that's how Trump started his speech, hearkening back to our founding. That is the uniting thing. It would be remiss of him to not at the same time point out the absolute, absolute lawlessness that has gone on for now months. Uh, and, and in the wake of the George Floyd murder, which we all agree was horrific and tragic and for which those men will more than likely spend the rest of their lives in jail. Now, for him to not point out that the cancel culture needs to be canceled, and it does. I have specific uh, friends who have been impacted by this idea that if you're not bending a knee to BLM, then, you're, then, then you should lose your job. Uh, that is a problem. The fact that you think that mobs of people can infringe on people's personal property and not be prosecuted is a problem. We are a nation uh, uh, made, uh, uh, you know, uh, individually um, responsible for our own actions and held accountable by the same rule of law. That is the uniting factor in this case. Christine. Yeah, so I'd like to point out that it's also not just my opinion. His numbers are plummeting. He's losing his base from his own base over his rhetoric, his tone deaf rhetoric. And he could simply acknowledge that, yes, our founding fathers had a Why do you, why, Christine, Chris, why, why do you worry about Donald Trump losing his base? I would think you'd be throwing a party about that. Why are, oh, so, think, many, why are so many Democrats and people in the media worried about that? This is a it? majority opinion. And that what he should have done is said, our founding fathers had great principles, but we didn't live up to it. So women were not considered people, they were property. People of color were not considered people. They were property. The we president, by the way, the president, the we president referenced the president in the speech, Christine, in, in the president's speech, he talked about from the Declaration of Independence that it was a promissory note. He referenced Dr. Martin Luther King as a promissory note. I think Jeannie and I certainly would agree. I think there's a lot of things that are still promissory notes. And African-Americans, I think they do have to have uh, things reviewed as to how they've been treated and how they've been, been shut out uh, for, for, for much of America's history. And certainly, I think the one thing that bothers me the most is that in the wake of the George Floyd case up or situation uh, up in Minnesota, where I think probably 95% of the American people were united, they were all on the same side. They thought the cop did a bad job. And from that, the, 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 the initial protests in the street about that, they were hijacked, some by Antifa, some by people who hated America, some people who decided, no, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start tearing down Confederate statues. That has nothing to do with improving police brutality in 2020. Nothing. Nothing. And, and what happens is the, the, the violence and the looting and the arsonists that followed, the, the pictures told the story. They the, those folks, they completely commandeered the movement, which was about George Floyd. You hardly even hear about George Floyd anymore. Unfortunately, and Bruce, Bruce, on that note, let's—I mean, let's face it. 
every one of the major cities that were looted and robbed were run by Democrats and have been so for decades. Look, I went down to the south side of Chicago to visit with Pastor Corey Brooks. His neighborhood of Inglewood, majority minority by far, was looted and busted into. They lost many of their their, their uh, drug stores, their grocery stores, uh, their Walmarts, their Target. The Walmart had to be basically convinced to come back in and set up shop um, after the mayor of Chicago had to conjole them to do so because nobody wants that to happen. These people destroyed black neighborhoods and black businesses. How is that fair? And the Democrats have a lot to answer to when it comes to all the missed opportunities to actually help those uh, those those minorities. Christine, Christine, response to, to that because you were trying yeah. to represent a district uh, that uh, that had been underserved. Yeah. So one, I'm going to say that uh, people are just sick of it. And George Floyd, it it started out with uh, a horrific ex- execution that was then had a bullshit charge. He had a third degree murder charge. I don't know if either of you have read the statute. I have. And it should have been a first-degree charge. It is wrongful that a first-degree charge was not brought so that a jury of his of peers could determine whether it was first-degree or second-degree. That's ridiculous. And I am not, I, I'm not, oh just, just a moment, That's just a moment. Christine, 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 one second. Christine, please. Listen, Christine, 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 you have Democrats making those decisions. And you have a problem with that. You apparently have a problem with your party not being able to charge correctly. But we understand what happens when you charge first degree murder and you can't get it. The guy gets off. That's not, I don't know if you're an attorney, but that's not how it works. So you can have a first charge, but the Democrats, if you're contesting, but they uh, more considerate so that I can speak. So that's not how the law works. I'm not sure if you're an attorney, but you would bring a first degree charge. You would also have a second degree charge. So if they don't find Christine, may may, 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 Christine, may I ask you, may I ask you at this moment in time, uh, when the Democrat state's attorney in that county looked at all the evidence and and the uh, the uh, uh, and he and he made the call and the attorney general of the state of Minnesota why are we why are we why are you wasting time talking about an issue that's already been resolved by a Democrat uh, 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 attorney general in the state why are you wasting that time aren't there more well, important things to talk time. about whether or not well it's no but charge. i'm talking about wh- how is that germane to the issues that we're talking about how sure. does whether or not he would how does christine answer my question how does christine you've got to wear a headset because you're not playing fair on this program tonight you are not playing fair you're talking and not listening to a thing that anybody says i will give you plenty of opportunity to talk but you must sometimes you got to shut your mouth and open your ears and all I'm saying is the issues that you talk about, I absolutely agree that police brutality is a problem. I don't think there's one you know, bad apple. I think there are many bad apples who wear badges, okay? That's where I'm coming from. But for you to spend time talking about how a Democrat attorney general is, is prosecuting, whether it was first degree or second degree, what does that do with someone who's going to be arrested tonight on the west side of Chicago? What is it? So, Bruce, how you were, it you were saying how it started off peaceful and you didn't understand. So I was actually trying to answer your question. And I would appreciate it if you would also listen to me. And I was explaining that people were very upset over the charge because it was a BS charge. Why? And they want real justice. 
But 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 how how why is that important? If the issue is you want to root out you you want to you want to have punishment to the police officers in that case, you want them to be punished. They are going to be punished. They were charged within one week of the of the of the crime. One week. Can you have can you have speedier justice than that? Do you do you want them already to be sent to the you electric can. chair? All right, I want to switch to some other guests. We're going to go to Dave. We're going to go to Dave. I want to go to Dave now. I want to I want to bring the callers in. Let's go to Dave listening to us in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hey, good evening. Um, just a couple of comments. One was uh, referring to the uh, at the founding of America that women were property and how uh, this narrative that America was so terrible when we were founded and that some people say we're still so terrible. Uh, well, if the, the panelists would like to answer the question as to what do they think about all the other countries around the entire world that were equally and many times far, far worse than anything you saw going on in America. If you think about the Roman Colosseum, I mean, even if you think of what a lot of people like to talk about royal weddings nowadays, anytime there's a royal wedding, half of the country in the world gets all you know, mesmerized with this wedding. Well, you know, if you go back in time, kings and queens, uh, you had, you had you have, you know, funny shows on PBS now about Poldark making it seem kind of nice and there's all, everybody's happy. Dave, I got to stop you there. I got to stop you there. I I appreciate your call, but we're running into a commercial break. Thanks very much for calling from Spokane. We'll take more calls when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Happy Independence Day. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. We're going to let each of our guests now introduce themselves, and we'll begin with Christine Schombacher. Christine? I'm Christine. I'm a Democrat. What else do you do? What do you do for a living? Yeah, I'm an attorney. I do commercial litigation um, at Denton's, the law firm here in Chicago. Why are you a Democrat? Why am I a Democrat? Well, I believe in... um, the core democratic principles. I believe in women's rights. I believe in rights for um, people of all sexual orientations. I uh, am a strong believer in the First Amendment, um, and I fundamentally resound with all of the democratic core principles, and that's why I identify as a Democrat. Okay, one last question to you is at the moment, Joe Biden is about to make a, 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 a choice for vice president, a running mate. Who would be your recommendation for uh, Joe Biden? Tammy Duckworth. Tammy Duckworth. Hands down. Tammy okay. Duckworth. All right, let's go to uh, Jeannie Ives. Jean, 
Uh, a lot of people know you from being on this program, but for those that don't, a little more background on your information and the campaign you're running. Uh, thank you very much, Bruce. Thanks for having me on your program for, I think, about seven years now. I really yes. appreciate the opportunity to discuss really important issues with you from coast to coast. Uh, and congratulations on your 40th year anniversary last weekend. Uh, yes, I'm a mother of five. I'm a West Point graduate, served six years in the Army, and um, I'm currently running for Congress in the Illinois 6th Congressional District. And uh, I served in the state legislature for six years as well and on uh, my local uh, city council. A question to you: uh, You you ran uh, in a in a primary against uh, Governor Rauner, and you came very very close. Uh, you are now uh, in a general election. You survived a, a primary uh, recently, and you are now the Republican candidate. And uh, one of the questions that uh, pundits ask is whether or not Donald Trump is as unified in the support of the Republicans now that polls suggested he was several months ago. So my question to you, because you're going out to talk to Republicans who really love the president, and I'm sure that you run into some Republicans that aren't necessarily a huge fan of the president's, where would you put his personal popularity in the district that uh, you hope to represent? Donald Trump did not win this district back in 2016, and he was certainly a drag in 2018. I think he provided a lot of energy for Democrats to come out and vote against uh, our local congressman, who was doing a superb job, in my opinion. And that was a vote really against Donald Trump. So he doesn't play that well. Uh, that said, uh, if people know me, they know my record. I'm the one who took on our billion-dollar governor of my own party over policy differences. So I don't play follow the leader very well. I look at policy and I've worked with Democrats when I served in the super minority and the minority to pass really good far reaching legislation to help all of the, my constituents and in fact, all Illinoisans. So I'm gonna take that same record up, uh, up to Congress. But that said, yeah, he's, you know, it's a mixed bag uh, people. Some people love what he's doing and love him personally. A lot of people are very uncomfortable with it, with his rhetoric. Uh, but when you get drilled down into what do you not like about his policy prescriptions, most people have to agree that they love the thriving economy. They like the fact that he was holding our allies accountable for their share of national defense. They like that he's willing to hold China accountable, which is really our country's greatest threat. Would he help moment. you if if if, yeah. if he came in to campaign in your congressional district for you? Would that help you in your view? I think it'd probably be a, a neutral effect, honestly. Mm-hmm. Neither help nor hurt. Okay. Let's go to calls. Let's go back to Bonnie from Crown Point, Indiana. Go ahead, Bonnie. Hello, Bonnie. Are you there? Yeah, line three. You are you on line Bruce, three, Bonnie? Bruce, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Bruce, can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Hello? Yes, I can Bruce. hear you, Bonnie. Yeah, you can hear me? I can. Okay. Go ahead. Um, okay. Um, Christine, and, and I got two things to say to Christine. She's here. First of all, she is woefully unprepared for this. She didn't even listen to the Trump speech in its entirety for context. I mean, why would she, wouldn't she assume that this wouldn't be a topic of tonight's show? So that's my first issue. My second issue with her is, how dare you, Christine, criticize the statue of the black man in Lincoln? That was because you don't know. That was commissioned by former slaves. 
they sent in their pennies, nickels, and dimes to create that statue. And the black man in the statue was holding his head up. His chains were in his hands, showing him not as being passive, but helping to break those chains. And so, you know, you need to stop listening to CNN in a 30-second soundbite. You need to educate yourself. You're going to come on this show because the people who watch, who listen to this show, are well-informed. And you're right, going to let, 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 Let's let Christine respond to uh, your uh, castigation. Yeah, I don't, I don't think we're going to agree on this point. I think looking at the statue in its totality, it does not show a black man equal to a white man. It shows he wasn't at the time. He wasn't at the time of the, he, but, but but he, he wasn't at the time of, of the creation of that statue. I'm going to say one one was the president. One was the president of the United States away from that image. It's not showing equality. Can I say one thing? I really think, you know, uh, I, going to West Point, it was a very historical uh, environment. We have statues all around that campus. Um, are they going to come in and tear down the, uh, the, the huge George Washington statue in front of Washington Hall? Are we going to rename Lee Barracks, where General Lee was the superintendent there? Or are we going to understand our history in context and at that time, and perhaps with a little bit more explanation, uh, get a fuller, fuller, fully, fuller meaning in our lives about what was happening in that period and why certain things were erected. Now, I mean, I think it's terrific that Mississippi decided to redo their state flag, and they did that in a reasonable way. They did that by a vote of elected officials. They didn't just go ahead and torch buildings over it. They did it in a respectful way, and they came to the right conclusion. I think with the statuaries, much of it should maybe be put on display and explained, and much of it just needs further explanation in place. And I think that's where we need to go as a country, because if we don't understand our history, we won't understand where Jeannie, we, how far we've come and how much further we need to go. Jeannie, uh, I would agree with you that I think local municipalities can make decisions on, on the statue uh, statues that are in their respective municipalities. But one decision that is clearly a federal decision is the decision made by uh, the military, by the Defense Department, on the naming of military bases. Many of those military bases, I think it's about 14 of them, were named after generals on the Confederate side uh, in in the war, uh, which was a traitorous act. Do you, because as being a graduate of West Point, do you think that there should be a renaming of those 12 to 14 military bases that are named for military uh, uh, and Confederate traitors. Look, I have no problem if we have a uh, learned discussion about renaming some of them. I have no problem about that. But, you know, when I went, uh, when I attended, went to Fort Benning and, and jumped out of airplanes, I didn't look up who Mr. Benning was. Right. I had no idea. Um, really, uh, Fort Bragg soldiers, how many of those soldiers understood that he was Confederate, Confederate general? Probably very few of them understand that. Uh, and, I, and as with most things, uh, a part of the naming of the, the bases had to do with money and support to, to get those things funded. So that, that, that's so typical. 
Do you so think those no, names? Do you, th- do you think those names should? We do, certainly have modern generals for for, right. for which many of these places should yeah. po- could possibly be renamed. Yes, that's and what General General Petraeus has said. That there's enough. There's, no a, there's enough military uh, active generals. Uh, you don't have to pick uh, twelve to fourteen uh, from the Confederacy. Uh, Christine, that's I right. think I know your answer, but what, what's your answer to that same question? Should those names yeah, uh, be removed? I do think removed? that they should be renamed, and I would like to point out that there's Republican support for that. For example, Don Bacon uh, is also a veteran and wants to rename because other countries don't do this. It doesn't make sense. But you're not going to find. But why would? The but I guess. I guess my question. I, I guess. I guess my question would be. You just said in, in, in response, a direct question to you, uh, who, who would like to represent a c- certain district of Illinois in Congress, I asked you for your opinion, and, and you immediately went and, and said that there were some Republicans that would still like, that would like to keep the name as is. No, How I did not feel? say that. I was saying that there are Republicans that support renaming them, for example, there, that, that, and I was, my point was this is, there's overwhelming support. Yes, you're right. Okay, and again, again, since we're putting, a, if we're going to discuss the politics of it, every every one of those bases or forts, every single one of them was named and with the support of a Democratic leader in the U.S. Senate, primarily from the state of Georgia, and every single one of them was named during the administration of Franklin Delano Roosevelt or Woodrow Wilson. There was no Republican president that was in office. And, and basically, it was when Democrats controlled both houses of of of, of, uh, uh, of Congress when those things happened. So again, mistakes yeah. were made, and they and they were made for political reasons. Because at that time, the chairman of the House and Senate Armed Services Committee were always Democrats, always for. 20, 30 years. We do have to pause. We have more callers on the line. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border on Independence Day 2020. I'm Bruce Dumont coming to you live coast to coast, border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. Nice to have you with us. Uh, here's a comment from Mac Birch, who's a regular listener. He says, Bruce, Democrats were different in the 1950s. It is disingenuous for you to bring this up, You, as you know better. 
Well, again, both parties were different in the 1950s and 1960s. And all I'm just saying is that one of the things I'm always interested in uh, and always interested in, in since doing this program, there are so many problems that this country faces, and it's easy to talk about the problems. I'm very interested in what political parties do when they have the power. When they have the power to do and change things, what do they do with their power? And in this particular case, the Democrats in the 1950s and go back to the 40s when there was the solid South and it was Democrats, the, 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 the most powerful people, uh, Richard Russell, uh, Herman Talmadge of Georgia, just to name a few, Mendel Rivers in the House in South Carolina, they were Democratic powerhouses. That's why everybody was voting Democratic then. And again, it was Republicans then that were standing up, certainly in 1960, they were voting, oh, 1964, they were standing up and they were voting for the Civil Rights Bill. The Civil Rights Bill would not have passed without a lot of Republicans, including Everett McKinley Dirksen, the Senate minority leader. He was the one that got the thing passed. So again, parties do change. But again, since we have a lot of discussions where people don't have a reference of history, I like to put that up whenever we can. Let's go to Joy from Spokane, Washington. She's listening. She uh, not a big fan of the Trump speech. Go ahead, Joy. Why not? Well, I listened to both of his speeches, um, both the uh, Mount Rushmore and the um, one in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And I am a Democrat, um, came from a family of Democrats, and um, I, I did not hear him. And I'll admit, maybe I have some bias listening, but I did not hear him make any distinction between protesters and rioters. I felt his comments were directed to anyone who was on the street, and I did march in Spokane. Um, the part I was in was very peaceful. There was some trouble the first March, but they had subsequent marches. There have not been problems. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that his um, comments were very targeted against um, anyone who may have um, had support for the Black Lives Matter. He had already called it a hate movement. And I just, I wrote a comment on Facebook that I felt like this was the most um, or the least united I've ever felt um, on the 4th of July um, for my country. And I'm 64 years old. I grew up on an Air Force base. We actually were stationed in Rapid City. Um, so I saw Mount Rushmore in person, <laughs> you know, a number mm -hmm. of times. And this president has just been disrespectful. Um, I think there is this do you element think, of evil uh, in him. I okay, truly do. Okay. Um, Joy, let me ask a question. As a self-identified Democrat, and I, I want to ask this question to Christine as well, but I'll let Joy uh, tackle it first. Do you believe that Democratic leadership, and you can define it however you want, whether it's Joe Biden or members of the House, the Senate, uh, Chuck Schumer, name do you think they have been articulate and clear and loud in denouncing the violence, the looting, and the arson that has come out of some of the uh, violent protests? Have, have, they been, have they been clear in saying that should not happen or separating it from the protests? You know, I think so. I mean, I, and I think, you know... 
Um, I didn't agree how long Seattle went, but once there was violence, for example, both Jay Inslee and the mayor said, no, this is now an unlawful um, uh, yeah. uh, after 10 days, whatever they <laughs> taking it over. Yeah. But they waited 10 um, days know, to do and it. And I think, but they weren't seeing the violence up to that point. And again, I said, I disagree with mm-hmm. how long it went, yeah. but I feel as if they did make a statement that we're not putting up with this violence. I know in Spokane, they were making arrests. I think in these other cities, arrests were being made. I think for me, just personally, where this hits for me is that it's gone beyond George Floyd. And it's gone to a point of recognizing that racism is an issue. And it's an important issue. We're doing an adult study with my church starting next week. And it's a predominantly white church, mm-hmm. but we're going to do that. You know, I've talked to enough people, young people, this um, young person yesterday who's dog-sitting for me and house-sitting. She just graduated from Whitworth University, which is a very good college. She's going to be a teacher. She's had people come up to her and say, wow, you're really smart for a brown person. I had physical therapy last yep. week. The young woman there yep. who's biracial, mm. she was told the uh, older man who mm-hmm. walked in that he needed to put on a mask. He yep. said, the only mask I'm going to wear is one with a swastika on it. Oh, well. Well, those are, by the way, let me, let me just, ago with- I want to give, I want to give Christine an opportunity to respond to the same question, whether or not Democrats have been strong and clear in denouncing the violence that has taken place. Um, I think I think particularly the mayor of Chicago has done a great job and there were a lot of arrests made here as well. A lot of arrests made when people were committing crimes. But again, I want to emphasize that the super, super majority of people were rightfully exercising their constitutional right to protest against the police brutality, the horrific over-incarceration of black men, and we need fundamental change. And I'd like to point out that Breonna Taylor's murderers are still free. Okay. On that note, we are out of time. Christine Schombacher, she has been our Democrat, joining us in our number one. Christine, thank you very much. Jeannie Ives, you have been our Republican. Thank you very much uh, for being with us as well. And again, we're coming up with another full hour of discussion. And in the next hour, we're going to be joined by David Massiotra. He's our liberal. Our conservative is John Zalm. And our libertarian is Brian Lambrecht. They'll all be here in the next hour. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Full hour to come. What is hope? Hope to me was just that he would get to come home. I had no idea how hard it would be once he got back. I wish she'd stop drinking so much. She thinks it's helping, but it's not. I hope she sees that soon. I act like I don't care if he comes to my games. But I hope he does. I used to hope he'd find happiness again. Now I hope our marriage makes it. I hope Grandpa will get help. He thinks it's too late, but it's not. With everything that he's going through, I hope he sees a counselor. 
I just want my brother back. I hoped he'd get help. Stop hoping things would get better on their own. He told me to stop asking. I didn't. Then one day he asked for a ride. Hope is knowing there are other families just like yours, that the veterans they love got help and recovered. Go to maketheconnection.net and turn hope into action. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast. To work hard. To do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling. We have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support for victories great and small. My victory was proving that a disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Bruce Dumont back. Thanks very much for joining us in hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. And in this uh, segment, hour, we are going to be welcomed on the left. We have David Masiotra, who is a, a writer. And in the center, the libertarian spot, we have Brian Lembrick, who's been a guest on this program. And John Zom is a Republican, and he joins us for the first time. John, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway. It's a pleasure, Bruce. Thanks I for would, having me. I would like to pick up the conversation of the past hour, and I'm going to start with the libertarian. Give us where you would start the conversation of racism in America. What needs to be done? What, what, what do blacks need to do? What do whites need to do? Give us a short version or a short answer to that because I want everybody to, to weigh in on it. How do we move forward? The short answer on that is that in every instance, government makes the situation worse. People need to work these things out in society themselves, and generally people want to work together. Everybody wants to have a better life. They want to do business with each other. They want to trade, buy, sell with each other. Then government comes in and decides, you can't go to this school. You can't go into that building. You don't have access to this health care. And then you get a divide that becomes worse and worse because government pits groups of people against each other. John, I want to, I want to go to you and, and uh, put a fine point on the question. What would you do and what do you think the Republican Party needs to do 
to address the issues of some African Americans who believe that there is disparity between the way blacks are treated by the police department versus whites. How would you, how would you just go in and try to resolve that? I think it's important to enact the police reforms that Tim Scott took the lead on in the Senate, you know, and got it got stopped in the House. I, I think there are reforms that are needed, you know, that can address some of these concerns. Uh, you know, for example, the idea of licensing of the police is not an, a new idea, and it's not a Democrat idea. It actually came up 11 years ago in the Illinois legislature by Senator Tim Bivens, you know, who, who had a whole career mm-hmm. in law enforcement, including the Lee County Sheriff. He wanted to see to it that those bad actors, and there's very few of them, I believe, within the police community, but those bad actors, you know, should not be able to go from department to department or state to state with with a bad record. That's something that Tim Scott wants to see, and that's something that I think uh, people of both in all parties can embrace. To David Dave, David Massiotra, our Democrat, pick up on that, and and where where do we begin addressing just that part? of the race issue in the country, the, 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 the unfair treatment of blacks, according to blacks in this country? Well, if we look at the police issue, uh, police go into neighborhoods and social scenarios as they currently exist. So when there's a killing or an assault, it's a flashpoint. But we tend not to look at the smoldering injustices that lead to that flashpoint. And on that score, I would say that there's great opportunity for unity. Uh, For example, 27 million Americans have no health insurance. So comprehensive health care would benefit everybody. It might disproportionately- How would that stop stop the actions of a police officer when engaging a black person driving a car? Be specific. Because I, you know, the health care is that that's a big issue. I think it's a side issue, although it is directly connected. I agree with that. But again, speak to some real practical reason as to as to why uh, one would affect the other. Well, the the point that I was going to make is that typically these incidents take place in uh, poor neighborhoods, and there's a feeling of inequity and injustice within. Uh, black neighborhoods, more generally speaking, throughout the United States for a whole host of reasons, in addition to police mistreatment. But on the issue of police mistreatment, uh, I would say that we need reform in terms of more training. Uh, We need to reevaluate the type of scenarios to which police are uh, tasked to address. Uh, a gun and a badge isn't aren't the tools necessary to solve every social problem, such as mental illness. And uh, this is, I'm sure, a, a point of agreement I can find with your other guest, Brian. I think we're overly policed and managed in general. So we need to reevaluate drug laws. We need to reevaluate why police are called to a scenario in the first place and why they feel they need to use force. Uh, let's go. Let's go, to, let's go to let's go to Brian to follow up on that. And again, focus on the subject of of let, let's focus on the police issue. I'll tell you if we if we can solve or come up with recommendations on solving the police community issue, we will make a grave step forward. So focus on that and and pick up the conversation. 
Exactly. And we're going to solve that right here on the show tonight. First, that's what we're going well, to do. We'll uh, try. Uh, David brought up the point of the drug laws. Example, um, both David and John suggested that there needs to be reform. There needs to be training. Again, what they're doing is piling more rules and laws on top of an already bad situation. The proposal libertarians have is to change the entire view of things. For example, drug laws. Drug laws are looked at as a criminal justice issue that's wrong. It should be looked at as a health care issue. When you do that, you can then get people treatment or help they need as opposed to automatically treating everybody like a criminal. And those laws originally created in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s were specifically aimed at Hispanics and African Hispanic Americans and African Americans in this country. Their, their um, inception was, was racist at its core. But would you also acknowledge that if you, if you talked to police officers in Chicago and there are open drug markets on many corners in the south and west sides of Chicago, many of their customers are suburban white kids from the suburbs. The, exactly. buyers, the buyers are white kids. So my question, exactly. to, my question to you is, what should we be doing to the white kids? In other words, what should be done with them when they come into the inner cities and they are sold illicit drugs by black gang leaders? Now, the word there you said was illicit. You're saying, what should we do to them? Why does it always have to be something done to somebody? If there's not a violent crime being committed, then people should be free to choose what they're doing with each other. I'm not saying. Well, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of evidence and I want to bring John into it. I think there's a lot of evidence to, to say that drug trafficking is a non, uh, you know, a, a nonviolent crime or a non victimless crime. I don't I don't believe and, and that. You, I don't believe that. But Bruce, there's you, a historical precedent. I want to go to John. I want to go to John. John, pick up on the conversation. Sure, Bruce. I, I think we're we're getting off track here. A lot of times, libertarians want to bring everything back to the drug legalization right. issue. I, th I think we're getting off track. Where we need to be on this is body cameras. Body cameras are create the ultimate transparency. It protects a good, honest cop who's doing his job, you know, from wrongful claims, wrongful prosecutions. I think we should all be able to agree, and Tim Scott led on this in, in the Republican police reform, let's have body cameras on every department, every police officer. I agree with body cameras in principle and in theory, and I certainly wouldn't oppose it. However, uh, Derek Chauvin had multiple cameras affixed on him. So uh, clearly video recording doesn't prevent the worst of police brutality. And thank goodness that we had the cameras on so that we could see that that horrible thing that happened, you know, and now start taking steps to to uh, to address it. Well, what we saw, we saw we saw a social media person who, who basically had uh, uh, the camera there. It wasn't the uh, it wasn't the body camera that saw it. And too often, uh, police officers turn body cameras off. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly with calls. Don't go away. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. 
I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway on Independence Day 2020. Nice to have you with us. Let's bring Joseph from Austin, Texas, listening to us on KLBJ into our discussion on uh, uh, trying to solve uh, racism. Not an easy task, but go ahead, Joe. You're on the air. Thank you, Bruce. And by the way, congratulations. Thank 40 you. 40 years of uh, programming. Well, we'll, we'll, keep, yeah, we'll I, keep doing it until we solve one think... problem. <laughs> Hello? Go ahead. You're on the air. Uh, I don't think the problem in the United States is racism. I think, matter of fact, we have some laws which are reverse racism, you know, favoring women and blacks mm-hmm. and minorities uh, for hiring. I think the problem in the United States is is black males. Mm-hmm. They are 7% of the population, but 70% of the people in prison and jails. I think the the reason... Hello, are you still there? Yes, we're here. Go ahead. Okay. I think the reason for this, you know, there are a lot of reasons, but the most striking reason is that 80% of the black males grow up in households without fathers. Mm -hmm. I think this creates a... uh, Black males don't know how to deal with authority. If you look at the problems, the the situation in Atlanta and the mm-hmm. situation in Minneapolis, okay. this so, is, let me is, stop, is, uh, Joe. Joe, let me stop you for just a second. I want to bring David Masiotra uh, into the discussion. Uh, because uh, uh, it's a subject that's near and dear to his heart. He's also uh, just finished a book that'll be out soon on the importance of Jesse Jackson in society. And I'm sure that you had conversations with Reverend Jackson about this subject uh, during your many interviews, uh, David. Yeah, we have. And uh, Jesse Jackson once famously (laughs) said when he was living in Washington, D.C., that because of higher crime rates among uh, young black males, uh, he regretted that he felt if he was walking down uh, the street toward his home, uh, he would feel under greater threat uh, if, a, if a group of young black men were following him than another race. But he added that in the 60s, uh, it was white people threatening him. Uh, you brought up Jesse Jackson, so what Jackson Uh, would point out, and I would agree with him on this issue, is that uh, we've had decades, if not centuries, of unequal, unjust social conditions uh, laying down a series of combustible elements uh, in inner cities where you have uh, drugs in and the presence of guns and lack of jobs, lack of opportunity, Uh, lack of high-performing schools. So that deficit of opportunity, that deficit of respect, that deficit of assimilation into uh, mainstream society, middle-class society, uh, incentivizes uh, illegal and unhealthy behavior. So therefore, if you want to uh, prevent and mitigate uh, some of those more pathologic pathological strains of behavior, you have to address the root causes 
which are disparities in education, disparities in economic opportunity, and disparities in uh, health care and several other issues. Would you, would you say, however, that, um, that the, the, the black community, by not demanding more of public education, that many of the children uh, in black families are coming out of substandard schools where they don't get the proper education, so they don't get the right jobs, so they can't advance, so they can't put money away, they can't buy a home in the suburbs, and it goes on and on. But it comes right back to, and again, I would say you could take one step further and say a lack of a father in the household, which is also a problem. It's a problem not only in the black community, but a problem in the white community. If you don't have a father in the household and you don't sit around and have dinner with each other as a, as a family unit, your, your likelihood of going to prison or having a, a, a bad outcome in life is significantly higher. But it goes back to, I guess, the, the broader question is, can the black community be more insistent that their local public school be more, uh, more proficient than it has been for 50 years? David. Well, yes. Well, uh, I think you're painting with a broad, broad brush. Uh, black organizations, black churches are very much involved with school systems. Uh, Jackson's organization, Rainbow Push, has had Push Excel, which works with the school systems uh, in operation since the 1970s. But much of the uh, problems of inner city schools are not a local issue. Much of it's a funding mechanism. You have funding for schools based upon not the child's worth, but the property tax base surrounding that school. That's not something that the families, the parents, the children within those communities can change. So uh, that's a very clear example of a child growing up in Naperville or on the north side of Chicago or for your national audience a wealthy suburb has a whole series of advantages and benefits that a child growing up in a poor inner city school lacks. And clearly that's no fault of the child's. The child doesn't choose where to be born, where to go to school. So that's a national structural problem that needs a national structural solution. Is it ever going to, is it ever going to happen though with the, with the, uh, uh, Democratic control of big cities. John Zom, your uh, your response to that? Yes, uh, I, the solution here is parental choice. Our s- public schools have been failing, especially in the inner cities, the big cities, for so many years. We've seen in Milwaukee where they implemented uh, parental choice. We've seen in in Florida, which actually started with uh, a Democrat governor uh, implementing school choice and and progressed from there into, into Republican leadership. That, that school choice can can get these children, you know, out of poverty, you know, and get them, you know, let the dollars follow the, the student. That's been a problem. That's something that Republicans have talked about for a long time, libertarians as well. But the Democratic Party, because of their allegiance to uh, teacher unions, you know, have, have not made the progress on this that we need. Brian, I want to ask you a question. Thanks for your call, uh, Joseph. Uh, Brian, I want to ask you a question. When we have discussions of race, are we spending too much time talking about black people and we should be talking about white people or the broader community instead? 
when people recently have been talking about Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, it, it happens everywhere. That There's um, uh, a large amount of violence that happens to the Hispanic community in the country. Uh, that's, you know, I mean, Black Lives Matter. Uh, I don't want to say something that people will take to misconstrue something, but there are Hispanics that get that get attacked. There are video footage of uh, white people, of anybody who are in their house minding their own business, and a no-knock raid is on the wrong house, and innocent people get shot. It's it's a systemic thing that starts within it. But with, with regards to your question about it, um, there are parts that people need to start at in order to have those discussions. For example, uh, as a libertarian, we've been calling for things like an end to qualified immunity for decades. Finally, people are talking about it because Black Lives Matter, because we've seen what's happened. So the changes that need to take place are finally being discussed in, in mainstream media and, and with the average person. Let's go to Mark in uh, Carmel, California. Go ahead, Mark. Hey, good evening, Bruce. So let me start off, and I tried to get through last weekend. Congratulations, dude. You, you started the whole deal. You were here <laughs> before Rush. You are a rock star, and you always have been. It took me years to find you, and thank God for iHeartRadio. Well, thank you very much uh, for that saying means, that, Mark. Thank God, and, and listen... So just let me cut back to the chase here okay. to your prior hour. Okay, so as of two hours ago, the Chicago Butcher Bill this weekend was as of two hours ago, and the weekend's young yet, because we're not done with the weekend, mm -hmm. was 85 shot, 24 dead. Okay, until, and it, listen, we're talking about the 20 top cities in America that are run by Democrats, which was a point brought up in the prior hour, until we can start getting a handle on that inner city violence, and tell me, who are they calling when those 85 shots, 85 people who were wounded and 24 were dead, who are they calling? Are they calling a social worker? My God, no. Of course they call the police, and the thing to defund the police. So I realize while your guests are talking about all these ethereal things about inner-city education, we must throw more money at it, we must move on and, and do this and that and the other thing, until we can solve the fundamental problems in the inner city, which was all created through the best of intentions, mm -hmm. because... We all had the best of intentions back in the early 60s. Right. You know, we're going to build apartment houses for everybody. Yep. And within two years, they became rat hole infested drug dealing dens. Well, it, it was an experiment that went wrong, so we need a new experiment. But the experiment is not to defund the police. The experiment is to clean out your houses and get your own stuff organized before you go on some national campaign that, tells everybody else what the hell to do, because in my county, we don't have the issues you have in your county. Well, uh, the, 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 the issue clearly is each individual community has got to handle what is happening in that community, and they have to engage. It, it has to be uh, a, a broad discussion, and I don't think it necessarily just has to be a discussion amongst black people. I mean, blacks have got to be there as part of the integral part of the discussion but the, uh, the the clergy should be involved uh and 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 the unions should be involved the unions should not be there to protect uh a fiefdom or a system 
that does not produce quality education. That goes back to the house. Most people should... Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us tonight on this Independence uh, Weekend. I think I might have said Independence Day, but it's Independence Weekend. And I hope you had an opportunity to uh, enjoy it uh, with your friends and family. And as I said at the beginning of the program, I had a great opportunity to head uh, to uh, Western Illinois, uh, Northwestern Illinois, uh, the Galena Territory, uh, which is where uh, Ulysses S. Grant is uh, one of the claims to fame of that great city and a uh, small town. It's the prettiest city in Illinois. And also right across the, uh, the river is uh, the uh, Dubuque, Iowa, and right on the banks of the Mississippi River. So it was a beautiful time. If, if you're looking for a new place to go and you're within the sound of my voice, at least in the Midwest, if you've not been there, I would highly recommend it. Let's go to guests who I will also highly recommend, and we will let them take a moment to introduce themselves and tell them a, tell everybody a little bit about themselves. And David Masiotra, we'll start with you. Uh, thank you for having me, Bruce. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I'm a columnist with Salon and uh, the author of several books, uh, including the forthcoming book that you were kind enough to mention earlier, uh, I Am Somebody, Why Jesse Jackson Matters. Brian Lambrecht. Hey, Bruce. Uh, first of all, happy 40th anniversary. Thank you. I'm thrilled to know that as a kid, when I was 15 years old, I discovered you on WLS and didn't know what the conversations were about back then. And now all these years later, I'm a guest on your show, and I sometimes still don't know what the conversations are about. Now, by the way, I, I heard the same story from David Masiotra. High school, yeah, I right? also started viewing uh, as a high school student. So wow. from student viewer to panelist again, quite a journey. <laughs> okay. John, you're making yeah, your first appearance on the show. Tell us a little bit about you. Absolutely. Long-time listener, so good to be on. Good. Uh, I, I founded Goliath Slayer Communications, a political and nonprofit consulting firm. I've been doing this 30 years, and now my three sons, Daniel, Jonah, and Sam, have joined me in the business. I'm also a local elected uh, school board member and school board president, as well as a appointed uh, village clerk. John, as a, as a Republican, how would you assess... Uh, the president's popularity with Republicans. It all depends on where where that where you are. Um, I'm I'm in the same congressional district that you visited. I love Galena. I'm in the 17th district, mm-hmm. Western Illinois. President Trump won this district by nine points, even though the congresswoman uh, is is Democrat. So he's quite popular out here. But when you go obviously into the big cities and even some suburbs, not so much. Uh, but 
Um, I think a lot of momentum is coming out of that Mount Rushmore speech and the patriotism that, that he evoked. And uh, I, I, the race can go in a lot of different directions still. It's changing every day. Uh, David, I don't know whether you saw the speech or read the speech. Uh, were you aghast by it, as uh, some people uh, at the network level, certainly uh, uh, Andrea Mitchell uh, was falling all over himself, herself rather, uh, denouncing it today? What was your reaction, if if indeed you saw it or heard it or read about it? I watched it live. Uh, I wasn't aghast, uh, but I was confused and uh, embarrassed by it because uh, we have 133,000 dead from the coronavirus. The pandemic is worsening while European nations are returning to their normal routine, pre-pandemic routine. We're setting daily records on new case additions. And uh, the president is seemingly more focused and concerned about protecting statues and discussing monuments. So I wasn't aghast, but I saw it as a critical failure of leadership and uh, an act of negligence. What should uh, he? What, what should he? What suffering. should he be doing? What should he be saying and doing now? In your opinion? Well, we could start out simple. First of all, he should be strongly suggesting that everyone wear a mask. Something he's refused to do since day one. He should be making better and more frequent use out of the Defense Production Act to ensure that all healthcare workers and nursing home workers are fully stocked and supplied with PPE. Hasn't he done that he already? Do, he should do the same to make sure that we have adequate testing. Despite all of his boasting about testing, uh, all public health experts agree that we have inadequate testing. Right. Uh, he should also uh, work with, you know, Mr. Art of the Deal should be convening with House Democrats and with Senate Republicans to more aggressively address the 40 million people who are currently unemployed. Uh, and he should also, uh, this would be, this is important, it's the least important, but it's important, uh, use his power as communicator in chief to express uh, empathy, sensitivity, and solidarity with the victims, their family members, and the healthcare professionals treating them. All right. Rather Let's go to, than, I, want, I want to go. I want to go to Brian, and I want to find out whether Brian, you agree or disagree with some of the points that uh, uh, were just uh, ticked off by David. By David. Yes. First of all, I like that David said the president should be suggesting things. I don't like when the government tries to threaten people or pass edicts in order to force people to a certain behavior. We so see no mask. We see you're, you're a no mask guy. Hmm? Are you a no mask guy or, or, or let whoever wants to wear a mask and wear one? Yes. And, and, and I wear a mask when I go into stores because the stores ask me, or if I go to places, I walk in the door, I always have it in my pocket. They ask me, I will comply with them. I will do that. But as soon as the government's going to tell me that now I absolutely have to do something, well, screw the government. I don't want somebody ordering me, but people are generally pretty good with complying with the businesses and restaurants when they're given the freedom to do so. We've seen it. John, do you think that the, Another do you think that the government has been clear and consistent uh, in delivering a message. And when I say government, I mean you've got the federal government, and sometimes the federal government is telling you different things than state governments. 
who who is the average person to uh, uh, who should they side with? I think the federal government has has been good from the beginning in being transparent. The coronavirus task force, all of the different uh, information you know that we get and continue to get. What I've been concerned about is individual states, like my home state of Illinois, which has gone too far in terms of the you know mandatory edicts and orders, things that don't make sense. The idea of how but it has, but it has, but it has one of the best records insofar as cases and deaths. I mean, well, Illinois, when you when at least when the national news media gives all of their assessments and, and charts, uh, Illinois seems to be doing the right thing. Uh, maybe not for business, but for COVID nineteen uh, cases. I've, I've, you know, the the numbers vary depending on on who's presenting them, you know, and what what I've found is that in the rural parts of Illinois, it's never really been a very big problem. In my count home county, 50,000 people, we've had exactly one death. You know, the, the problems have been where people are concentrated, like in the in the city of Chicago and some of the busier uh, suburbs. But, but no, I, I don't think uh, the governor here has handled things right. And at what cost? You've got a, a human and a social cost when you've got everyone locked down You've got mental health issues. You've got domestic abuse on the rise. Uh, children are not getting properly educated because of this remote and distance learning that's that's not being uh, effectively implemented and isn't working. So there's there's tremendous cost to the way some of these governors have shut things down. Uh, I want to go back to Brian. Brian, do you think and the people that you speak with, I, I, I assume you speak with people that are not just libertarians. But are people that you run into, are they blaming the president for COVID-19? They're blaming him for uh, COVID getting a little bit worse. And basically the thing that the president does, uh, nobody should be shocked or aghast at anything he says anymore. It's pretty much routine with what he does. It's it's an Independence Day weekend and he goes out and gives a speech where he starts complaining about about statues and he's talking about rioters and protesters as if they're one and the same. So people are upset with Trump over all of those things. But a lot of the COVID issues, it's pretty much the states. It's the towns, the cities, the counties. On the local level, everyone's figuring out how bad it is. Um, I can't remember if it was David or John, but somebody said the rest of Illinois is handling it completely differently. People are being responsible on their own. And you don't have to arrest anybody or issue tickets, take their money, punish them. The rest of the state is handling it pretty well. It's only concentrated in Chicago where it's becoming a big problem. Sam from Sam from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, joins us this evening. Go ahead, Sam. Welcome to Beyond the Beltway. Thanks, Bruce. I've been watching this couple from St. Louis, as you know. Yes. I have a little bit different take on that. Go ahead. Uh, this guy's calling for the police now to come in and help. For 30 years, he was, him and his wife have been trial uh, personal injury attorneys. Mm-hmm. And they have sued the police department. They used to be what was called ambulance chasers. Mm-hmm. For 30 years, they have been suing police departments, especially the St. Louis Police Department, on behalf of largely black clients. And they built their mansion and made their fortune on that. And now that the mob has turned on him, he is crying for the police to come and save him. It's almost poetic justice. Okay. And, and by the way, in that in in in, in, in the case, in the, the by the way, in the case, just the ground troops, they're the brown shirts for the agent provocateur for the left and the Marxists, the Democrats. Everybody knows that. 
May I speak on this, Bruce? Yes, go ahead. Sure. To me, the, the story that really comes out of St. Louis is not the personal merits or demerits of that particular couple. It's the fact that, that they're legal gun owners and they're protecting their property against people that had burst through their gate, you know, and, and were shouting, you know, and, and were be, literally being riotous. And, and the right to the Second Amendment is, is paramount, especially at this time. We see all the people that are, that are exercising their rights and buying guns as well. They should, you know, to protect their homes and property. That's the message that I get out of St. Right. You are also not seeing many Democrats at the moment uh, bring out uh, the, uh, the Second Amendment card. Uh, I think they're fearful of that issue uh, exploding in their face, no pun intended. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly with our last segment of the night. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Bruce Dumont back. The president is imposing a $10,000 fine for anyone that defaces uh, federal property, uh, statues or any kind of federal property. I think that's probably uh, uh, popular with a lot of people, including independents. That might even be popular with some Democrats, because whereas the issue of protesting police brutality, I think, is a legitimate issue to be discussed and also protested in the streets to get the attention of everyone which they obviously have, the idea of taking the law in your own hands and defacing public property, whether it is a Confederate general or whether it is a former president of the United States and destroying it and tearing it down, that is lawlessness. Lawlessness cannot be accepted, and those who are involved in any sort of a conspiracy to create and spread lawlessness, like the president has suggested with uh, some fire bombings and some of those that may be part of Antifa or a similar group that is uh, looting and, and uh, uh, creating mayhem in cities. Uh, I don't think anyone, even even Democrats, really don't want it. They just can't. They just don't have the ability to stand up and say it. They can't say it. Democrats can't get tough about anything. The only thing they get tough about is talking about Donald Trump. But the president has said Excellent. he wants to get tough, and he's he's getting tough on these issues. But I think you know, saying that someone's going to go to the, the clinker for uh, for for ten years for defacing a statue of uh, George Washington, I don't I don't think there's uh, many people that disagree uh, with that sentiment. David Mastriotti, do you agree with what I just said? Well, which part you said an awful lot there? Well, I I, I want you to just blanket accept it all. No, my qu- <laughs> the, que- the question is, a $10,000 fine for anyone that defaces 
federal property. Is that is that a reasonable? Obviously, they've got to go through a court. They've got to be convicted of it. I'm not saying you know take them out and and just you know have them sign a check. Uh, but don't you think that's a majoritarian position at this point? Yeah, and I wouldn't disagree with the fine. Uh, but my larger point is, at the risk of repeating myself. Uh, we live in a country with some pretty severe social crises. Yes. And uh, we're devoting a lot of time to discussion of statues and monuments. The risk is we all begin to look rather silly. Uh, so, you know, child poverty is on the rise. Uh, illiteracy do believe, rates are on the believe, rise. I do believe we can Joblessness do, we can, we can rise, do, we'll we, can do those things. we can do all those things. But the point is, and this this is where I think you have to draw a line between Republicans and Democrats. The point is, you have you. It's lawlessness. Are you for lawlessness, or are you going to stand up and speak against lawlessness? When it when it comes to standing up and speaking against lawlessness and drawing a line, so nobody can misinterpret what you say, the Democrats look weak. They look weak. Well, they, they, can, it, it, they cannot come out and, and, and be emphatic about saying that something is wrong because they're, they're fearful that part of their constituency is going to be offended by what they say because they're going to be perceived as being racist because they don't believe that a statute of Abraham Lincoln should be torn down. Or as our guest know. in the first I, hour I suggested, because there's a picture of an African-American who is on his knees below uh, you know, uh, uh, Abraham Lincoln, that somehow is racist, even though it was slaves that it raised the money to build the uh, statue. First first of all, I, I don't know if you're correct, because in the past week, Joe Biden, who's the nominee for a president in the Democratic Party, probably the most important Democrat right now, has said that he would favor a legal process to remove Confederate monuments, but want other monuments to stay in place. At the same time, you talk about lawlessness. Don't forget the Republican Party, most especially Mitch McConnell, are collectively insisting on corporate immunity within the next coronavirus relief package, which means that corporations that violate health and safety standards and endanger their workers and consumers will face no legal penalty or consequence. So that's a whole nother way of talking about this issue of lawlessness and criminality. Well, I think we're getting off track. That, May I comment? Yeah, go um, ahead, John. I agree. Yeah, go ahead. The, 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 the issue here is that a statue by definition is a symbol. And if you tear down a, a symbol of, of, of our government, you know, and you do it in a violent, reckless manner, like they've been, been doing with, with, with these mobs, it, it tears the very fabric of our society apart. We, that's why I definitely believe the, the severe penalties are in place or should be put in place. And, and there's the hypocrisy of the statues that are getting torn down. You've got abolitionists getting torn down. Ulysses S. Grant, you know, who defeated the Confederacy. It, it's outrageous, George Washington, you know, that, that what these uh, Democrat protesters and radical protesters are doing is beyond the pale. We have to do something about it. Brian, do you see a clear line there or not? Uh, I think this is a great 
time to start having a discussion about how we stop using taxpayer dollars to pay for statues to be put up of politicians and political figures and historical figures. If people want to put up a statue, let them raise the money and do it privately. Stop spending taxpayer dollars Brian, on it. Brian, Brian. But, but get back to the talk- rioting, Brian, 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 please. We're talking about statues that have been up there for 50 to 75 years. Those things are paid know, for. A- and by the way, many of them were paid for by private funds. No, they were on. not all paid for by no, tax no. dollars. You're like behind Sell the curb on this. Sold. Have them sold off and give the money, give the taxpayers a tax break. Okay. All right. On that note, we say farewell to our libertarian, Brian Lambrecht, to our left-of-center guest, David Masiotra, the great uh, progressive writer whose new book on Jesse Jackson will be coming out shortly, and John Zom, who's a political consultant making his first appearance on this program. We thank you all for being with us on this Independence Day version of Beyond the Beltway. Our thanks to Andrew Marshall and Fritz Goldman and also uh, Todd Nebel for their assistance in this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Until next week, good night from Evanston, Illinois.